So here's the question. When the rules we've been operating by have burnt us out and the hamster wheel is keeping us awake at night and stuck, how do we, as expert entrepreneurs who want to make significant impact but just can't take on one more thing, grow our businesses and teams, double our revenue while working less? That's the question. This is the Business Habitat. I'm Sam Dean, your host, and this show explores the answers. Stay tuned and enjoy some brave conversations. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I am so looking forward to you listening to today's episode with Jeff Wade. It's one that you really don't want to put down or stop. It's a little bit longer than our normal ones. When I, I've met, known Jeff for a while and he has a, a couple of very successful businesses and he's certainly around a, a business performance specialist, uh, particularly around the concepts of psychological safety. We'll put a whole lot of um, links around Jeff Wade and how you can get to know him a bit better in the show notes. So, you know, make sure you check it out. What really interests me and, and one of the reasons I had got Jeff onto the show was his claims around and certainly some of the stuff I've seen with him employee engagement and, you know, really the brutal truth about that and how we've been focusing on these figures. But, you know, it's not really a, a good indication or it's actually some false facts, um, really. And is it the actual right numbers that we're concentrating on, given what's going on in all of our industries, you know, particularly focus on the experts, you know, we can't get staff, we can't seem to keep them, they're just not there. And also, you know, all of the, the facts coming out of the states, you know, around the great resignation and why we're leaving it. So I thought this was a really interesting one and it's certainly something that, you know, if I had to, every time I ask any kind of expert leader, whether it be in the accounting industry or the, the law or anywhere, is that, you know, what is the one problem you'd like to solve? And that's getting new staff and, you know, that there is a, a big capacity shortage in that at the moment. So I thought this was really valid. What was really surprising, though, is the um, why well, we did cover that topic, and it's a fantastic topic. We also meandered through a couple of really interesting ones. One particularly around, you know, imposter syndrome and what it actually means, and that it's not something that's essentially female; it's essentially human, and how we all suffer from it. And then the fact that you know one of the reasons that the engagement, the employee engagement thing, is that we just can't compartmentalize ourselves and between the business and the personal and why that you know that is also leading um, to some of the phenomenal mental health and exits and lack of actually great candidates on the market as well so it's such an interesting topic buckle in stay tuned so much so that we're going to explore this type of topic um, with a few other people coming up stay tuned for that as well and I think this is a really important start to starting to understand how we can really build aligned teams and as you know leaders what we can first of all start with ourselves and thinking about ourselves and then you know helping our teams um, with that as well thank you very much enjoy good morning good afternoon or wherever you are welcome to the business habitat I'm Sam Dean your host super happy to have Jeff Wade here Jeff Wade and I are going to drill in to employee engagement and frankly Jeff gave me some amazing stats the other week as basically how it hasn't really improved or should we even be using it as a measure in the last 20 years which is as you know we are all about numbers here at the Business Habitat and we're going to talk about some today and 
employee engagement is obviously in its purest form is obviously one of the biggest things in any business habitat because it's the people and and the the, the community um, that builds it. So welcome, Jeff. Great to have you Thank here. You. Love for you to just give us a bit of an outline. He has a very interesting outline, so I'm going to let him do it in his own words. <laughs> you just tell us how you come to be here. How did I come to do what yes. I do today? Um, <laughs> do I start with my life in organised crime? No. Uh, <laughs> I, it, it was... I started out, of all things, in in the fields of engineering, automation, robotics, computer science, and and, and very shortly after graduating school or university, I found myself as this twenty two year old running a department with with about fifty people in it. So I went back to school, I studied business, and um, and of course I was lucky enough to have a great mentor when I when I took that first leadership role, and then. Um, I got fascinated in the study of people along the way and and performance experts and expertise as the, as, as the field as it's commonly known, but at the, you know, the differences that make the difference between folks who, who just perform and those who are exceptional. So I've, I've kind of got this crazy mix of, uh, of your world, what I call the, the hard scientific numbers that you and I relate to. As a certain famous scientist said, you know, if you, if you can't measure it, if you don't have numbers, you don't really understand it. Um, yeah. But at the same time, having that that hard course per perception mm-hmm. of reality, yeah, yeah, you know, I also understand the dimensions of business and and what makes it work. A little bit like the, you know, I understand the rules of the chessboard. I understand the rules of business, and the the other things that that of course I've picked up with with my studies as uh, as I understand the people who are in business, and uh, I'm very comfortable with people. I, I I find myself talking to leaders who find that the people dimension is the most difficult, and I say that it's predictably unpredictable, and once you understand that. You, you get a mindset where you just embrace the people and everything that they bring, and you find that um, there's nothing to be afraid of. And 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 then there's this other dimension, I suppose, that uh, that I have a cybernetic way of looking at things, and you know, businesses um, match cybernetics yes, in my yes. mind, and that they're large, messy, goal-oriented systems. And so I, I, it's it's the intersection of all of those fields and many others. There's a lot of books behind me. And, um, I've read them all and more and <laughs> seem to be able to remember it. Can you just explain Simononics to me? Um, just Simononics because I am thinking, do I know that term? And I'm sure there's other people out there who might have not heard it. It's the the, the simplest way to, to, to think about it is, is as I said, it's, it's understanding the, the basic principles of complex systems um, and and understanding how all of the different elements uh, relate to one another and sometimes have feedback loops. And I describe organisations as the cybernetic systems. They're typically, yeah, they involve multiple people. So, yeah, that, that's, that's the, compl- the, the complication, the messy, if you will. They, they, they involve stakeholders in terms of the shareholders. So the multiple people, you know, shareholders, employees, customers, and, and each has different sets of goals, but there's alignment. And, you, and you're trying to manage all the business processes and systems in order to satisfy every, every stakeholder. Uh, and, and, of course, I haven't mentioned the largest stakeholder of the community that you operate in or the, 
or the society in which you operate. And because we're at last now acknowledging that the businesses have that triple bottom line, if you like. Yeah. And and they do. And to me, you know, one of the big things is when I particularly early on in my career, not so much now, obviously, I'm trying to rebuild all the rules, you know, help people rebuild around these rules and that, you know, that has been true forever, but this whole concept that, and I love, I love that, you know, the complex, every business you're in is complex because there's people in it. And as you said, all different stakeholders and everything it is, and this, that embracement of it, but this whole concept that, you know, leave your problem at work, leave your problem a thing. The thing is, is the community is so important and there's so much research coming on that. And for a lot of people, their main community is business, particularly for the experts we work with, because, you know, one of the things we're trying to change is to get experts not working, you know, big hours doing productivity or or whatever that is, a habit in a lot of cases, because you cannot switch yourself off no matter what. You have to bring your emotions to work. You have to be full-bodied. You have to do this. You know, you cannot... You cannot hug a tree and leave them at home. Like, <laughs> what, a, what, what a novel idea. You know, I'll just, I'll, I'll zip here. Yeah, I've got this special zip here, you know, I just open up, pull the emotions out, leave them in the bedside table at home, right? I, I know a lot of people who think they've got that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was one of them. What a load of crap that was. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, I've got to become, you know, particularly being a woman, you know, leave your emotions, you know, do this, don't do the woman thing for God's sakes, particularly at high level, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And it's just like, I didn't learn that till later on. It's just like, oh, and I used to tell people, don't cry at work, don't be emotional. What a load. Like, just come on. These things don't happen. And your most, your biggest assets, your people and at the end of the day, and they're people. <laughs> they got human problems. I'd, I'd echo what you said in a conversation that I had with an executive recently. and. Um... Without any context or detail, part of what I was uh, engaging with him around was the the um, <clears throat> imposter syndrome and fear, right? And and he nearly fell out of his chair when part of the dialogue uh, I suggested that he he could actually embrace the fear, and 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 he said, "What do you mean by that?" Well, I said, "Where do you feel it?" And he said, "Right here in your gut." And I said, "Well, put your hand there and say thank you." And he said, "What?" And I said, say thank you. You've got a really strong signal that you cannot ignore, right? And he said, yeah. Well, thank it. Now, you've experienced the fear. It's got your attention. What are you going to do about it? It's, it's get, it Just take it as a signal that's telling you, I want your attention diverted to something. Um, the fear is being triggered by something, right? So what is it? Instead of being terrified with the fear or, or, or instead of ignoring it and trying to suppress it, just embrace it, thank it, and then go beyond the fear and find out what's the message that's behind it. And, and it was it was an interesting dialogue, and, and um, on so many levels, <laughs> of course, because yeah, it was a revelation. Yeah, but the, 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 the other piece that's in there is is the echo of what you're saying. You know, emotions. Some of them you experience they're pleasant. Oh, we embrace those. The ones that are not so present. Oh, you know, we push them away. What? No, they're emotions. Embrace them all. You don't have to get stuck in the ones that don't feel nice. It's like, oh, you know, I'm actually, well, you know, I don't think you'd experience it quite like this, but anger, <laughs> you know, kaboom, the, the, the volcano, fine, but then let that last for a few seconds. You've had that intense emotion. 
Now, what's the intention of the emotion? What's it all about? What's behind it? Get to dealing what's behind it. You know, some, and, and again, you know, emotions like anger and frustration are sometimes so alike that people get them confused. And it's like, oh, you're not actually angry. You're just frustrated. And that's okay. Okay. <laughs> you've, you've got the frustration. Yeah, because it's told you there's something going on. There's a mismatch between, I mean, anger's the same. There's a, a significant mismatch between what's going on in reality and what you want to be going on, or the outcomes that you're getting and the outcomes that you want. And when there's that disconnect, you have an emotional response. Great, thank you. You've brought my attention to the the disconnect. Now, what am I going to do about it? You know, I can I can I can get stuck in the intense and unpleasant and sometimes less useful emotion, or I can shift to a resourceful state and deal with the discrepancies. Absolutely, and I think that that's so important. And you know, it's as everyone knows who is on this podcast, Brene Brown and I are. <laughs> She's my God, but you know, I haven't actually met her. Don't worry about that. But, you know, just recently with her work, with the, the split of the 70 odd emotions that she talks about, but the, the 30 and this difference and it's obvious, it's those hard, I hate calling them hard or good because no emotion is hard or good, but it's that real, there's curiosity around them and the courage to sit and look at it because that's where I got my best growth from. That's where when I'm working either helping people, coaching people or working with my staff or whatever that is and myself um, and people who coach me, that's where we get the good stuff. Then also the ability to actually sit in the good ones, happiness, joy, you know, what did I do to bring me this, what's this moment and actually enjoying them rather than just going on to the celebrations and, you know, as productive people, we like to then, oh, that was nice and we're off. So these are things that we need to get juicy in and I know deal with the employment gauge. Can I just too thank you that you referenced imposter syndrome and you talked about a man. Imposter syndrome is human, people. It is not a woman thing. <laughs> Stop it. If you if you talk to my wife and asked her if I have imposter syndrome, she says he's got it bad. Right? We all do. Yeah, we all do. So imposter syndrome is just thinking you shouldn't be there. That's it is actually ramp through all sexes or people no matter what you acknowledge yourself as it is not a woman thing it is not it is both so thank you for that because when you said oh, I said please don't talk about a woman and you didn't <laughs> yeah and and he, here's another spin on it um you know from my personal my personal experience I don't know how other people handle it but my personal experience with imposter syndrome I I actually find that it is what it's part of what motivates me to continually learn and develop and 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 hone my skills and um, it's it, if if I didn't have it I think possibly I, I I could get complacent and stagnate. That's just my personal experience. You know, other people may experience it different ways. I've 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 kind of shifted with the imposter syndrome to actually it has utility for me, and I'm grateful for it. Um, sometimes when I'm experiencing it, it's not so comfortable, <laughs> but 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 it it, it it motivates me to to improve. I use it a little bit because you know obviously we all, we all suffer from it. Yeah. But when I'm not feeling it, I'm going because I'm a person who really has to push a little bit on onto the curiosity and everything. Otherwise, I I get bored, and you do not want me bored. 
I actually looked for it and think, I'm feeling really comfortable in this. That's fantastic. I've got to mastery now. I can do someone else to do it now. You know, so, you know, even the podcast, I felt like, it, you know, definitely is an imposter for a very long time. Now it's very natural to me. Um, 100 plus episodes, that's muscle, you know, and at the moment I'm trying to write. <laughs> oh my God, it's back. I don't think it ever goes away, does it? It's every time you're trying something new, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be sitting in this seat with these people. I don't, I don't know about that, that it never goes away. I think it changes its nature. Um, and, and it's um, actually, as, as you were talking then, you reminded me of Amy Cuddy. Um, we, we, we both uh, have a number of um, uh, female scientists who are leaders in their field that we, that we follow and admire. Amy Cuddy is one of them. And, and you know, she, she talked about, and for your audience, if, if you don't know who we're talking about here, I, I highly commend you go to YouTube, search Amy Cuddy go and Ted. find the t- yeah, or go to a, Ted. You did Ted. Find Amy Cuddy in the in the presentation that she does on on states and how it in, in it's it's about 15, 20 minutes. But I can tell you you will be emotionally engaged, intellectually engaged, and at the end of that that um, presentation you you'll be uplifted. She's a gifted presenter. She she talks some of her personal story, which is remarkable. But she, she uses a, um, a phrase she calls fake it till you become it. Oh, I... Not fake it till you make it. Fake it until you become it. I forgot where I got that from. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 I, and I think some of the imposter syndrome is, is you thinking, you know, I'm faking it or me thinking I'm faking it. But we do fake it and we hone our skills until we become it. And they're like, oh, wow, we're doing that. And then we, of course, in this modern world, um, yeah, there's a whole raft of things, not just one thing that we do. So we get a little more comfortable with one thing, but there's somewhere else where we think we're the imposter. And so we start working on that. Um, Beautiful. It's just a, a, I, I'm comfortable with it because uh, I, I go back to that. If there wasn't a little bit of it there motivating me to to be a human being, and by that I mean, you know, I, I have this crazy map that human beings are learning organisms. We're genetically constructed to do that. And the moment we stop, we stagnate, and it's a form of death. So if, if you're doing lifelong learning and lifelong taking your – we say take yourself outside your comfort zone, but that, that I've got a slightly different spin on that too, um, and it's – when we do training with people, we go about it in a different way, or at least my team do. And, and we often frame at the beginning that, uh, you know, confusion. In, in our culture, we're encouraged to, to avoid it. It's, and we're given this frame that it's an unpleasant sensation, confusion. And we go, you know, you poor bastards, you're locked in a room with us now. You know, we're your instructors and guess what? We've designed this program to confuse the hell out of you. <laughs> and, and when we see you're confused, we'll know that we've achieved our outcome because confusion is what precedes learning. If, if, we, if we're giving you material you understand already, you're learning nothing new. It's only when we push you to the point where you're loading in new information and you can't relate it to the knowledge base that you've got that we elicit confusion and then we know that you're learning. And, and we, we, um, we get our, our, yeah, the participants in our programs to, to go through this shift of when you've got confusion, start to smile, it's a gift. It's telling you you're about to learn something, <laughs> something new. Wow. And, uh, and so I, I kind of, I, I, do, I, I do live that. Um, 
And I think courtesy to some of the mentors that I have, I remember a particular intervention that was done by a, a mischievous guy called John Brindo once when I was in one of his trainings. And uh, it was um, it was art. And I, and I still live some of the patterns that I picked up as a consequence of what he did. Fantastic. So what's really interesting, I'm glad we kind of that went down a couple of rabbit holes that we weren't going to and I knew that we would. Um, I think let's get a little bit pragmatic now because – See how we did that, guys, and you know, and girls who were listening. Um, that we went down those rabbit holes, and this isn't all what some people and I certainly used to call woo-woo shit. Um, yeah. Now let's get pragmatic. I'm a, I'm a hardcore scientist, and I, I, I know a little bit about how people know what they know and do what they do, and are very comfortable operating in yeah, that space. Absolutely, yeah. and um, yeah. Now, how how do we actually measure it? I think. You know, one of the things that I really want to talk to you is around the employee engagement piece and how yeah. it's still, you know, you interest me in the 20-year thing. It's like, can you just talk to me about um, your statement pre, um, that I've heard previously that um, basically employee engagement numbers are crap, for lack of a better word. Uh, okay. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by The Aligned Leader, a six-week program built to combat the leadership fatigue syndrome. So you can grow your business without the overwhelm. So to, to, to your audience who are deeply emotionally attached to um, employee engagement as, as the, what, what should we call it, the silver bullet, you know, the, the be all, the end all, um, I'm going to shake your world a little bit. And I, I do it with a positive intention. And, and, and that is to help you understand that it has some flaws. It, it, it does have some value and it's useful to understand uh, some of the things that I can be a little provocative about. So yeah, the, the first things, there's kind of five points I'd make about employee engagement. Um, but one, one is the actual definition. Um, if, if you do your research, you'll, you'll find that the, we're not consistent. We don't have a, a reliable definition. There are about six kicking around mainstream, and they're quite different. That's problematic. And then, then the definition itself is all about the it's, – it's actually a company measure. We call it employee engagement, but it's about the employee, if you like, commitment to the company. <laughs> so, so the perspective is not a, from an employee perspective. It's from a company perspective. And, and I, I find that interesting. I think a lot of people get confused about that. It's like, oh, if we've got a pack of engaged employees, you know, we're looking after them. Well, uh, that tells you straight away that it's a trailing measure. Yeah. It's what comes after you've done other stuff, right? So, and, and it's been touted as a, uh, as a leading measure. And, and, yeah, I, I don't think so. Certainly not in my experience. So that, that's the first thing around the definitions and the understanding of what it is. The next is, you know, how we measure it. There are, there are nine, the, the, provoke, the most, there are nine different measurement systems. Yeah, there are more actually, but the main ones, and again, they're measuring different stuff in different ways. So how do I benchmark between companies? How do I compare when we're, we're measuring different things in different ways with different tools? So it already is, is a, the utility of the measure is eroding for me. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the other things that you're probably looking for if you're the, the, the leader of an organization, um, the two other pieces of the, the puzzle that, that I can actually change it. I, I, I know when I get my, my analysis, my, my report, 
having done the assessment that, um, well, yes, it's not as good as I want it to be. And these are the levers that I pull to fix it. Sorry, it fails miserably there. Uh, and, and that's where, you know, and, I, and on the global level fails miserably. We've been measuring it for 20 plus years. And if you look, and I'm not picking on Gallup, it's just that they've got well-published statistics. And, uh, you yeah, know, I actually have respect for a lot of their work and, and, and cite it. But, but, but we'll reference them because they've got published data um, that, that's readily available in, <clears throat> in the public medium. And, and they show how the measurement uh, over the last 20 years that they've seen on, on a global scale has improved on average less than half a percent per year over 20 years. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, if, I, if, I was, if I was running a business with processes and measures in it and my people, the best they could deliver was half a percent per year, I'd, I'd be questioning the measure or questioning what we're doing. The, the fact that we're not getting a significant improvement you know, from this crappy base where a small percentage, you know, 24 something percentage of people are engaged and, and, and we're, we're increasing that very, very slowly. Um, it tells me the, that we don't know how to move it. Mm. Now, that for me is gobsmacking because I do know how to move it. We've done lots of engagements with organisations where one of the outcomes has been shift employee engagement. I can shift it to world class in 12 to 18 months. It's a no-brainer. And, and I think the problem is that, I know, really arrogant, wasn't it? I know you have the numbers. He has the numbers, people. Yeah, the imposter syndrome <laughs> was kicking in saying, Jeff, that's, that's just a bit. Hey, you know what? To your audience, it is a little provocative, and yet we've done it time and time and time again. And, and the, the simple response, how? Well, if, if you look at a lot of organisations, they're, they're saying, oh, we need better employee engagement, so we'll give better employee conditions. And, um, you know, we'll improve the pay, we'll give them table tennis in the lunchroom, you know, da, da, da. And, it, and it's like, you're kidding me. The focus is on that 15 to 30% of, of the drivers of employee engagement. You know what the number one driver is that makes up more than 70% of employee engagement? It's the shit asshole that I report to. Absolutely. Sorry to the use the colourful language. The, yeah. They're not memes for a reason. Like, you know, most people leave. Yeah, it's, it's my immediate not, supervisor. Not pay. Yeah, yeah. And I've got crap employee engagement because I'm having a crap experience with my immediate boss. The experience with my immediate boss trumps that of the organisation time and time again. We know that. We measure that in our analytics. And I cited Gallup. And, you know, they've said that for decades. They've said that 70% of the reason that people leave organizations is the immediate boss. And I could use more professional language than the profanity I used no, before, fine. but <laughs> seriously, that's, that, that's, it, 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 it excrement is, is, is a, a, a reasonable description of the standard of some leadership in organizations. It's tragic. It's the sort of stuff you just flush. Oh, and look, this is just across the board. And you know, now we're into an area of great resignation and it's just the will of course. Yeah. Can we just yeah. go back to the number? Actually, before we go there, yeah, because there's one other piece no, of yeah, employee yeah. engagement. And, and yeah, the last piece, you know, is, is an organisation. So, you know, we're not seeing that they, they understand how to drive improvements in it, which is sad. When, when it, if you understand it a little better, you can, and you can, you can shift it quickly. The, but, but you don't work on employee engagement. You work on the stuff that is the precursors, the leaders to employee engagement. I've like given a hint. Leadership is one. Another one is psychological safety, and we'll come back to that. 
The last one, though, for me with employee engagement where it falls down is you can't talk about it within an individual company in, in financial terms. You know, organizations are spending a lot of time, money and effort and emotion um, on trying to improve employee engagement. But when I ask CEOs, oh, wow, you must be spending a lot of money there. You must be really pleased with the return on investment. The conversation just goes into this deathly silence and they look tragic because they tell me they, they, they can't talk about it in financial terms. And there are some entities out there that say you can and they, they publish statistics, but they got their statistics by looking at 230 um, companies and you know millions of employees. And what they did was you know, some clever statistical stuff to merge all of that data. So on a global scale across hundreds of companies, I can see a correlation between employee engagement and financial outcomes. But in a single company is what I'm concerned about. You know, if I'm, a, if I'm a leader of a company and I think employee engagement is really good for my employees, it reflects their well-being and it reflects their commitment to the company, I also want to be able to talk about it in financial terms because if I can see a huge return on investment from it, I will throw resources at it. I will really drive that in a direction that, that is beneficial for the staff, for the customers, for the shareholders, for the company. But, but I talk to CEOs and they, and they can't see that. And I, and I agree with them because the numbers, they just don't stack up. And then for me, last of all, is um, you know, some, of the, some of the studies where you see companies where, where allegedly they have high employee engagement, you know, they're scoring 80s, 90%. When, when you do more analytical um, data, or just do just more analysis of what's going on, more interviews, more insight. You find out that the leaders are white ending one another, and there's actually this dreadful behaviour. And yeah. and it and it's like what? It, I've got good employee engagement, but I've got all this other nonsense going on that's not being picked up. I, I think sometimes, you know, employees are smart; they're human beings, and. As I said at the beginning, the definition, the measure is all about the company, not the employee. And uh, employees will realize that. And at some point, they'll get cynical about the surveys because it's measuring what's good for the company, not good for them. And and uh, you know, I, I use this crude term, you know, the survey comes out and uh, there's that that acronym, BOHICA. And, and it's it bend over here, it comes again, right, BOHICA. Yeah. But that's literally the cultural or emotional response of the employees to the to the survey. And so how accurate is the data when, when they're having that reaction to it? Other measures are... Can you are, just I, give us, can you say what that acronym is? Oh, BOHICA, B-O-H-I-C-A. <laughs> Bend over here, it comes yes, again. Yes, that's what I thought. But I am an acro cream. Yeah, right. But it's 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 the employee's response when they get cynical about stuff, um, and and it it's appropriate. It's appropriate. I, I yeah. There's there's a there's some there's some peer reviewed research on employee engagement that's really brutal. Um, and and they did they did what we call a longitudinal study back in 2015, um, and they looked at thousands of um, literature publications, literature peer-reviewed paper um, articles, that sort of stuff on 
employee engagement and they concluded that 97% of it didn't meet standards. Ooh. And so they, yeah, so they looked at something like 5,000 papers and in the end they whittled it down to about 170 that they, they actually thought met um, academic standards. And So the research papers themselves? Research papers and and other media from from uh, you know large corporations who've got a vested interest in that space, they they basically wrote it off as as not meeting basic scientific standards. And and when they looked at the 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 other papers, they concluded, as I said earlier, you know, a bunch of inconsistent de- definitions, a bunch of different ways of measuring it. It's about the company, not the employee. Uh, we don't know the levers to pull to improve it, and you can't talk about it in financial terms. But, and, and at the end of the paper, the the, the uh, scientist it was a group who wrote it. They actually, in the conclusion, wrote something like, "We don't actually know what it is. We don't know how to measure it, and we don't know how to improve it." <laughs> Yet we're spending billions of dollars <laughs> on it. <laughs> yeah, but, but it was pretty brutal. And actually, it's making us brutal. more dis- our, our workforce, to our yeah. business, as I said actually more dissatisfied because I think that the actual results of the last two, three years with the great resignation, even before COVID, those stats were pretty shit. Um, yes, COVID has probably, you know, burst along. I, I think the biggest thing for me that, and there was so much, I mean, honestly, we could have a podcast on each of those points, but just this is the, this is the thing that we need to get to a point and try to solve is we do need to look at return on investment. We do have businesses for that. Oh, yeah. So it's how do we solve this? And we are always talking about this because the number, I know for sure, the numbers that get measured are always the easy ones. So in you know in our stance in expert businesses, productivity, billable time, and all of those very demoralizing type of, it's all about my output. It's not about anything else. It's, it's I talk about it, it it's that perspective of um, you're a business process. Yes, Sam, you're a spreadsheet. Right? And so the, there, are, there are two things that matter to me. Uh, yeah, uh, well, actually, there's one thing really, throughput, right, <laughs> or your output. And so when I look at, look at you as a business process, then there are two dimensions, which is, you know, the volume of, of uh, activity, if you like, at the input end, and the effectiveness or efficiency of you. Which, which determines, you know, those two measures to together determine the output. So, yeah, I'm going to look at you as a machine. Yeah, absolutely, or a spreadsheet. <laughs> I'm sorry I laugh. It's, it's like it, I understand the utility of those measures and, and, the, and they have validity within the context of the fact that you're a human being and not a machine and that you're also a human being working in a social context at work, typically as part of a team. And, so, yeah, I, I've... Given engagement a hard time, yet I work with it and, and I do, understanding its shortcomings, still think it has a place because it's the thing that's pointed us to understanding that this other dimension of, of how people relate to one another, the social dimension, um, is, is critical and, and the science that's followed from an employee engagement um, has taken us in that direction and we've when we now understand that... You know, the foundation that so many other factors sit in is is that 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 soil of team dynamics, that the, the and, and some people call it psych safety, but it's 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 that stuff that that is the prerequisite for everything else. If you don't have that, you you won't get your productivity. You won't you won't have your staff retention. 
you, you wanted to have your employee engagement. And I think that that is completely linked back. And I see this all the time. And I cannot tell, tell you how many times we've worked just on this problem. And you've mentioned the, the um, it a couple of times without knowing. So it's like the number one reason people leave is their direct manager. The most productive oh, yeah. people in the business are valued. Um, sometimes they're the same people, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, I can't get rid of him. He's the most productive person. I can't get rid of her. Um, you know, she bills the most, you know, whatever, whatever that is. But there is now immense studies around, and we always say too, but what could the, re you know, we go into, we've seen, um, I've worked at the business in the last couple of years that had a massive sales team, obviously not a professional services business because they don't. They had one guy who just killed it, right? Just what I call Rambo. Just go out, can't repeat him, is a magic. But yeah. he kind of then takes no prisoners underneath. And then uh, four people who, who kind of are only doing together what he does. And and they weren't – We and I said, uh, we can – if he goes, which was a – you know, he's obviously stressed and could – he was in that – that. I mean, I'm not surprised if he had a heart attack or something because he's just the way he lived. But um, when he eventually left – Guess what happened to everybody else? Their performance lifted because they were having an experience with him that lifted that... immensely. Immensely. It actually tripled the top line, tripled yeah. it. And it's yeah. like, I yeah. don't have the numbers, but I can give you three or four case studies on it. Um, you know, everyone gets upset, you know, when, oh, we've got one partner who's an absolute ass. You can't get rid of him. He sits on a million dollars. Bullshit. Get rid of him because I can tell you I've got he's, examples of it. Here's, here's, the, here's the perspective. I, I alluded it to it before. I said you, you, the, 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 I said the metrics yeah. have their place, that, that, those hardcore metrics. And you were talking a sales example. So we can say sales metrics, for example, or productivity, whatever. That, that, that stuff has its place. The dilemma is that, that often in a business we just look at it through that perspective. You know, if I can, you know, I put the hand over one eye and that's all I look at through it yet. Single single vision. The other dimension, you know, we were talking about employee engagement and, and I talked about uh, team dynamics, like safety, leadership performance, some of the and the cultural stuff. Sometimes we just look at the business from that angle too. And let me tell you, when you look at it that way, you'll get an entirely different perspective. But you need to put a look at it both. Right? <laughs> yeah, and because yeah. that's it. That, that's one of the things that we do. We we look at both and when, then we do analytics to look for the correlations between them. What happens when you look at it in both, instead of getting this linear ranking of the most productive or the highest sales to the lowest, or looking at it from the culture perspective, the happiest people to the most miserable people, you put them together and suddenly you find out, oh my, here's this group or these teams or these individuals who are really happy and they're performing exceptionally and there's some interesting stuff going on with their leader and they really trust their leader. Then there's this other group, hey, they're performing really well, but they're miserable. They're, they're feeling anxiety. They've got, you know, the, the culture numbers are really low. There's high staff turnover. What's going on? Well, you know what's going on. The boss is running them only from the metrics perspective, forgetting that they're human beings and beating the life out of them over numbers, 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 numbers. And they're driving really good people out of the organization. Yeah. And then, then, then you have another group 
where the yeah the culture is really great they're really happy but their numbers suck <laughs> yeah because they're not being held accountable for performance mm -hmm. and you can kind of see when you look at it through one one time uh, perspective just the numbers one of the or some of the people doing doing good numbers are the ones with the team leaders who are just beating the life out of their people stressing them to the girls and then we would go and reward those leaders because they've got high performance just on the metrics and if you looked at only the culture side of things you know, oh, gee, these, these people are really happy, but they're that team I just described where everyone's happy, but they're not being asked to do much. And so they're not meeting the performance metrics. But we'd, we'd, if we just looked at it from the culture perspective, we'd reward the leaders in those teams. When you look at it through one eye or the other, you screw up half the time. You've got to have both dimensions, the metrics and the culture or the people. That's when you, when you do that. You, you get a deeper understanding of what's going on and you go, oh, I don't have one intervention. Send everyone off to sales no, training exactly. or whatever. Everyone off to culture training. It's like for the, I've got all these different groups of teams where I, I, I've got a different intervention to help them uplift performance and uplift it in a way that preserves the experience of the workforce and, or builds it. it so, so they actually enjoy, they, they feel safe with their peers. They know their peers have got their backs. They feel safe to make mistakes because they know in the, in the organization or with their leader, their peers and their leader will treat it as a learning opportunity. You can ask questions. No one will shoot you down in flames. You can volunteer ideas and no one's going to give you that was the dumbass, you know. They're going to go, interesting, tell me more. Yeah. Even if they go, this is crazy. But they will respond to it in a way with, you know, but it might be genius. It's just I don't see where the genius is, so I'm going to ask about it. Mm. When, when you're in a culture like that, where where you have this community of team, that's the foundation upon which you can build everything else. Then you can hold people accountable for performance. Then their productivity will will optimize because they're not having these unpleasant emotional states at work. All about people. All about. <laughs> All about people. It's it's the foundation. You know, it's it's we we sometimes well we don't say it. Uh, um, a lady called Annie Edmondson, who's who wrote the book The Fearless Organization, and is, is a world famous researcher. Yep. She said, you know, that this this people stuff is the soil in which you can plant all the other seeds that that drive performance. You know, with, with that soil, you can start holding people accountable for performance. You can drop in the training for skills, the processes that uh, that give performance. You can drop in the training where people build resilient um, emotional states. Uh, resourceful states that, that support performance. You can hone the communication skills. You know, I just go on and on and on. But with, without that soil, you, you're going to have a very dead-looking field. And I think this is, you know, some of the stuff that we really need to, and, you know, I know that you've written about this, is, you know, going from an employer, sorry, employee to employer, or a transactional to the relationship. So stop thinking about the spreadsheet. Yeah, partnership. Into partnership, to yeah. true partnership, which yeah. is, a yin and yang thing. It's not um, as it's used in the accounting industry because please stop calling your businesses that. But, um, you know, into true partnership, which is you work together. Um, and as, as, yes. I, as a leader that got very fatigued, I can tell you now that I have a team that trusts, that can give feedback to me, do not pretend that I like it. I don't. But I know that that's where the value comes from. Um and this this kind of, you know, as as I've said before, habitat where there's no 
hierarchical, there's kind of a glue situation going on as opposed to that everyone has their say. There's lots of rules around it, respect and all that sort of stuff. But performance Absolutely. has Courtesy to happen and respect too. Fundamental. Yes. <laughs> like... the, thing is, the thing is in that context that I'm describing where you have that team dynamic, you wind up with what I would call radical candor. In fact, I don't call it that. Some clients have called that. That was their experience. We moved from where we were, we won't describe that, to radical candor, radical transparency with one another, and radical accountability. That was yeah. their words. This radical, radical, radical. But it was bizarre. Uh, you know, accountability, transparency, and candor. And they said but that, that meant we could challenge anyone about anything except it was done with courtesy. It's got to be done with kindness um, and yeah. um you know, that sort of stuff, and I love that. So those three things that they've called radical are usually the toughest things, um, yeah. and they've made it part of the norm and, and part of the thing, which is, you know, where we need to go, and none of this happens overnight. This is all hard stuff. Oh, it it's simple, a learning but it's hard, piece. but yeah. Because yeah. you, you, you think, uh, you know, earlier I talked about the, you know, when things go wrong, people get, or when there's a big mismatch between what I want and what's going on. I can get frustrated or angry. And then, you know, what happens, uh, let, let, let's imagine I'm your boss. Sorry, bad luck. <laughs> but, you know, it's something, something's off track and I'm really frustrated and angry about it. Uh, then if I bring that emotional state to the dialogue with you. Yeah, up goes the wolf. To sort yep. the problem out, yep. what happens? First thing is you're, you're going to sense that, right? Intuitively, you're going to sense my state. You're going to feel threat. You'll, you'll have a fear response, you're in, and which now we're talking about the primitive brain, the amygdala. You've lost most of the high brain function that both of us need in order to solve the problem. By the way, I'm in my anger state and I'm in a similar yeah. place. So we're both now sacrificed a significant yeah. chunk of the critical mental facilities that we need in a knowledge-based business to solve the problem. But if I come to you and, and, it's, and, and I go, wow, you know, I've, I've noticed we're off track here. So how about we, we work, see if we can collaborate on how to, how to solve this. So, so first, you know, let, let, let's explore who's being impacted and how and what the impacts are. Ooh, okay, it's significant. Do we agree it's important to fix this? Right. Well, um, what, what, what do you think of the root causes? Yeah, let, let's have a look at that. Yeah, who else might be able to volunteer ideas on the root causes? Some of these things are under our control, some outside our control. All right, now how, how might we respond to them? How can I help you? That's um, a big one. How can I help? What other resources? You know, if we're having a dialogue like that and you can hear them, you know, and, and I'm mimicking the emotional state, which is I've bought curiosity. Mm -hmm. I haven't bought anger or frustration. I've bought, oh, there's a mismatch between where we are and where we want to be. I'm curious to figure out how fast we can close that gap. Sam, my team member, is the one who understands this part of the, the business better than anyone else. I'm going to go tap into her genius. And if I can help her, I will. But I'm going to bring curiosity to it. And Sam and I are going to bring curiosity, which is now we've got our full mental facilities. We're resourceful. And we're looking at how we can solve this quickly. And it's, it's a very different engagement. It's a very different outcome. Mm, and I think, you know what, we're going to leave it at that. Because I always give, how can, because we've covered a lot here and there's so much more to cover. Mm. And we always, try, I always try at the end of these sessions to look at, What's one thing, because there's a lot, there's a journey to go on here. Um, what's the one yeah. thing that people might be able to put into the every day that could? It's that last thing we just exactly. talked about. That's exactly. I think is, you've already given it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
curiosity. Leaders, yeah. curiosity. <clears throat> Why curiosity? How would you apply it in practice? What's curiosity going to drive for you? Questions. So you're going to start to ask about the people, your curiosity about the people you work with. So you can have curiosity about the individuals as well as the business. So the curiosity about the individuals is going to build relationship. You get a deeper understanding of them and, so, and you can build trust. Curiosity when you've got problems in the business is going to get you more resourceful solutions. Curiosity will evoke questions from you, which is going to set the example to everyone else that questions are welcome. And, and you know, when, when people volunteer ideas, curiosity. You're not going to shoot the idea down. You're going to ask questions. So you're going to elicit ideas. And you can see how curiosity has an application in so many contexts. It has a real ripple effect. The last one I would say, you know, apply curiosity. You, know, you can set the frame with your teams that we're, we're living in interesting times. We're supposedly in the next decade seeing the same amount of change that we saw in the last 100 oh years. <laughs> we know, yeah. So it's coming at us fast. Some of it we can predict, a whole lot of it we won't be able to predict. So what can we be? Fearful of what we're not, are not able to predict or curious about what's coming next and then curious about how it's going to impact us and how we can respond to it in a useful and resourceful way. So curiosity can even be directed to that. Um, you, you change the response from threat to curiosity. It's Yeah, I live by it. It is actually my number one value. There it is. Um, so, you know. To my one, tip. one tip, curiosity, <laughs> and I can also, you know, double double down on that. Um, curiosity did not kill the cat. I really do not know where that expression yeah. came from, um, and I think is exactly what the world needs today. Yeah, I'll give you one last one last element of it, so that you and then you can close off. Most of what I've described so far is curiosity. It, 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 I was describing curiosity um, directed externally. Yes, you were. Right. <laughs> yes. It doesn't mean a whole thing. Here's the other yeah. piece. Curiosity can also be flipped around and directed at oneself. Mm -hmm. Yes. I wonder, here's the question. I wonder what's the best way that I could do this. I wonder what's the best way I could connect with this person. I wonder what's the best question I could ask here. I wonder how I could improve myself. Curiosity about yourself is really useful too. But you can see my frame is curiosity around improvement. Well, Jeff, thank you so much um, for joining us today. That was amazing, as, a, as I thought it would be. Um, to everybody else out there, um, we'll say, rather than stay brave today, let's stay curious and continue the conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. We work super hard on this podcast and are passionate about helping expert entrepreneurs build businesses without overwhelm. To help us, can you please leave a review if you loved it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform?